0: This edition of TBU Bat Books for Beginners, episode 161. My name is Jerry. And I'm Chris. And we're your hosts. On Bat Books for Beginners, we will examine story arcs with Batman
1: and related characters. We'll give you the historical background of the book, break down
0: the plot and the art, and give you our opinions so you can decide for yourself if they're worth a read. Today's Bat Book is a collection of stories commonly referred to as War Games Act 3. This covers the issues of Detective Comics 799, Batman Legends of the Dark Knight 184, Nightwing 98, Robin 131, Batman Gotham Knights 58, Batgirl 57, Catwoman Fits 36, Batman 636 and Batman 634. There's a lot of them. Yeah. That's a good scorecard there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sure is. So, Chris, tell us a little bit about these books.
1: Thank you very much, Jerry. Hello, once again, Batfans. Thank you very much for downloading. Batman War Games, Volume 3, subtitled Endgame, was a trade paperback that collected the issues that Jerry mentioned. And that had a cover price of fourteen ninety nine and had a cover date of September 2005. This volume has 208 pages. According to mycomicshop.com, the trade paperback would have at least one second printing and possibly more subsequent printings. At the time of this recording, Amazon has copies of this volume for $10.99, and other online vendors were offering this book for considerably less, with the lowest price coming in at $4.87. If you've heard our past two podcasts, you'll know that in 2015, DC Comics collected the War Games story arc and split it up into two collected volumes instead of three. The creative teams involved are the previously mentioned usual suspects, but I'll give you the rundown of the writers first. Anderson Gabrich, A.J. Lieberman, Devin Grayson, Bill Willingham, Dylan Horrocks, and Ed Brubaker. And for the artists, we had Pete Woods, Brad Walker, Sean Phillips, Thomas Denarik, Al Barry Nuevo, Mike Cuddleston, The Great Paul Gillesi, and Kinsun. The cover to Volume 3 that we're covering was done by James Jean. Since I gave comments to most of these folks on the past two podcasts, I thought I'd change it up a bit and give some background history based on my recollections and the online details that I found online for the two key characters of this story arc, Black Mask and Stephanie Brown. Black Mask first appeared in Batman number 386, cover dated August 1985, which had a cover price of 75 cents. (laughs) And I remember getting my copy at my local comic shop back then for this book. I was a bit surprised to see what the online market had this issue going for. eBay had a couple of auctions with a starting price of around $25, and from one vendor up to $345 for a 9.6 slab copy. The Black Mask was created by Doug Meenick, or Doug Mensch, depending on your pronunciation, and Tom Mandrake. His real identity is Roman Sianis, and, like Bruce Wayne, was born into a socialite family where the two met. He was given a position at his father's cosmetics company, fell in love with a model, which upset his parents, and so he killed his parents in a fire and later (laughs) inherited the company, which then failed under his leadership. Yeah, I think he rushed a product to the market without proper testing, and this (laughs) led to disfiguring women who used it. Bruce Wayne offered to help, yes, but this led to scientists becoming more enraged and jealous. Hmm. Uh, When he went to his parents' uh, burial site, lightning struck, and he took that sign as an omen, Hmm. and he carved a black mask from his father's ebony casket, Hmm. and he quickly rose to the ranks of one of Gotham City's crime lords by forming a, quote, false face society gang of criminals, and murdering three members of the Wayne Foundation board in the process. Years later, after the War Games story arc, spoiler alert, he threatens those close to Catwoman, and she kills him by shooting him. I'm deliberately leaving some of the more graphic details out of this Black Mask-slash-Catwoman uh, feud for the sake of taste and decorum. It's pretty ugly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this being comic books after all, the death of the Black Mask doesn't last long and he's resurrected in the Blackest Night storyline as a Black Lantern. Dr. Jeremiah Arkham took the mantle of the Black Mask in the Battle for the Cow story arc when the original Black Mask was not in action due to a psychotic breakdown. The character did appear in the New 52 and in Rebirth. To my knowledge, I don't think he ever appeared in Batman the Animated Series, which... Perhaps unconsciously de-elevates his status in my mind, but I think he did appear in a comic book based on the animated series. The Black Mask has had other media appearances and television in The Batman and Batman the Brave and Bold, and in the animated movies Batman Under the Red Hood and Batman Bad Blood. Okay, moving on to Stephanie Brown, and I'm sure I'm going to leave out tons of details that I'm sure Ian Prion can (laughs) correct me on and provide most of all the vital statistics of this character, but I'll take a quick stab at it. Stephanie Brown first appeared, thank you. Stephanie Brown first appeared in Detective Comics number 647, cover dated August 1992, which had a cover price of only $1.25. Now, I know I got this issue at my local comic shop when this came out, but I tell you, 1992, I had so much going on on my plate back then, so this was much more of a blip uh, than it was for Black Mask. Once again, online back-issue pricing offerings are a bit of a bit surprise to me here for how low her first appearance price can be had. A decent to high-grade copy can set you back only between $6 to $8.00. And a Slab 9.8 can be yours for the taking for a sum of $140. Stephanie Brown, a.k.a. Spoiler, was graded by Chuck Dixon and Tom Lyle. She's the daughter of C-List, or D-List, depending on how you grade, and I'll grade on a curve and go with a (laughs) C-List villain, Arthur Brown, a.k.a. the Clue Master. She's the only person in comics, to my knowledge, to be both a Batgirl and a Robin. I don't want this to sound like I'm glossing over her depth, but this character has quite a bit going on. She's had a teen pregnancy storyline. Her quote-unquote death, which was later to be revealed as a fake, was a monumental moment. Her Brian Q. Miller run as Batgirl had an enormous fan following. And her non-existence at the time of the Flashpoint Star arc in New 52 did ruffle some feathers. In recent years, she's come back in the forefront in the Batman and Robin Eternal story arc, and in DC's Rebirth, with having a prominent role in Detective Comics. Yes, she
0: does.
1: So yes, she does. So there are nine online, re- excuse me, nineteen. Wow. Correct myself, nineteen online reviews at Amazon for Batman: War Games Volume Three. It presently sits at three point six out of five. There are some five-star reviews. There's a one-star review. Now, how did Jerry and I rate it? Stay tuned and find out as we discuss it. But for now, I'm going to turn this back over to Jerry.
0: <laughs> thanks, Chris. I'm really liking what they're doing with Stephanie in the uh, in Detective Comics this past issue. Really good stuff. So, okay, well, yes. thank thanks a lot, Chris. So we're going to get into the story after these messages from our friends.
2: Do you enjoy movie scores? (laughs) Do you like science fiction? fantasy and do you like movies uh, uh, everything's under control situation normal what happened uh, had a slight weapons malfunction but uh, everything's perfectly all right now we're fine we're all fine here now thank you how are you well, I have a podcast for you. Soundtrack Alley. It's a podcast where I take you on a journey through the time of my childhood and beyond to give you a glimpse into the world of movies, science fiction, fantasy, and other films that touch me on a personal level. You'll also enjoy interviews from film composers from famous movies from the past or even current times. Enjoy the interaction I have with guests on my show every so often. And check out other shows that share in guest spots. So sit back, relax, and let the soundtrack world wash over you. And check out Soundtrack Alley. You'll love it.
1: Warlord Worlds a fan podcast devoted to the comic creations of Mike Grell, including Warlord, John Sable, Star Slayer, Shaman's Tears, and Green Arrow. I'm Darren.
0: And I'm Ruth.
2: You'll join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in the many excellent comics from writer and artist Mike Grell.
1: Warlord Worlds is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher.
0: Find us at warlordworlds.com. Welcome back. Let me tell you the story of War Games Act 3. Gotham City's gang war, as depicted in War Games Acts 1 and 2, continues to rage. Following Batman's orders, the GCPD and the Bat Family have pushed all the criminals into the stadium in Robinson Park. The plan is to have Batman's agent, Orpheus, take control of the criminals and bring the war to an end. But what Batman doesn't know is that Black Mask has taken the place of Orpheus and is in (coughs) disguise. Black Mask gets up in front of the throng and tells them that he needs a new army. This is not what Batman expects. Onyx has discovered that the real Orpheus is dead, and she informs Batman. So Batman gets in the middle of the crowd of thugs and fights his way towards the imposter. The criminals leave the stadium and battle the GCPD. The Bat family descend on the stadium to get Batman out of trouble. Now, the GCPD have been using rubber bullets up to now, but no more. The police believe that Batman has betrayed them. This was his plan to get all of the criminals into the stadium, and now they're acting as kind of a uniform army. So the Bat family is no longer going to be protected by the GCPD. They thought this was Batman's plan all along. Batman reaches the Orpheus imposter and punches off his helmet and sees that it's Black Mask. But Scarecrow appears and saves Black Mask from the Cape Crusader and the pair leave. Batman vows to end the gang war. Catwoman. Don't, don't take off Batman here. Yeah, yeah. sorry. You, and if you see the, the panel of this, he is mad. He's very upset. Oh yes. So Catwoman returns to her friend's apartment where Stephanie has been staying, but Stephanie is gone and Selena heads out to find her. Also happening out in Gotham, Nightwing is shot in the leg by a cop and passes out on a fire escape. Now, Batman, uh, I'm sorry, Black Mask, he goes back to where he, uh, held, uh, spoiler uh, hostage, and he goes and looks for her, and she has escaped from her chains. Uh, she, they find each other, and she kicks him in in the face for his trouble, and they fight. She wins, and is over him with a gun, but doesn't shoot him when she has the chance. So the tables turn, and Black Mask shoots Stephanie through the chest. Batman arrives at the building and sees the room where Black Mask tortured Spoiler, and he looks for the clues and realizes what has happened. With Oracle's help, he locates Spoiler, and who's badly, badly wounded at this point, and he takes her to Leslie Tompkins' clinic. He orders Leslie to save her. Now, Stephanie is partly conscious, and she blames herself for all the death and destruction. And Batman tries to ease her mind. The GCPD has Tarantula's gang cornered in a building, and they decide on a real fire assault, real bullets, real weapons, to get a win, because the GCPD is under all kinds of pressure, political pressure, to, to get this gang war ended. So they're going with real bullets. Now, as the assault begins, Tarantula loses her bat communicator, and she has to retrieve it to call for Batman's help. So Batman leaves Stephanie's bedside and goes to her aid. Black Mask kind of kidnaps that reporter, Arturo Rodriguez, and his cameraman, and... Says he wants them to come along with him to report a story. So he tells Gotham via the live camera feed that he and his criminal army are going to attack the Batcave. He leads them oh, the- social media
1: man. I <laughs> <Yeah. you. laughs>
0: be careful of what you tweet, right? Yes. <laughs> he leads them to the Clock Tower Oracle's headquarters. He mistakenly thinks that the Clock Tower is the Batcave. So Black Mask's troops attack the building. So Black Mask and Scarecrow enter the building behind the army. The lead attackers are hit by an electric shock, which is a a little trap that Oracle has set up, and it disables them. Other troops are disabled by a gas attack, but Black Mask disperses the smoke with a grenade. Oracle is desperately trying to get in touch with Batman to get help, but he is too busy saving Tarantula. There are just too many crises going on at the same time. Eventually, Batman and Tarantula are able to escape the perimeter set up by the GCPD. Black Mask and Scarecrow, they, they reach a room in the clock tower that has laser beams blocking their way. Black Mask throws Scarecrow into the beams, which overloads the system and shuts it off. Uh, Scarecrow is, incidentally, pretty badly burned. But, you know, Black Mask is okay with that. That's not a problem. That's Scarecrow's Scarecrow. <laughs> So he finds Barbara and thinks that she's Batman's secretary. She's a bat secretary. So he gets on live TV and tells everyone he has infiltrated the Batcave and he's going to assassinate Barbara unless Batman comes to save her. Batman sees the news report and heads over to the clock tower with Tarantula to rescue her. Now, the GCPD have surrounded the clock tower and have orders to shoot any masked vigilantes on site. Which is making it hard for the Bat family to get in to help Oracle. Batman decides to go into it alone, and he tells the rest of the family to let the GCPD handle any regular bad guys that get out. But if any metas come out, any, any supervillains come out, then that's who they're supposed to fight. So Batman is able to get to where Black Mask is holding Barbara, disables his, uh, his thugs, and he begins to fight with Black Mask. Now, Scarecrow emerges from the building, from the clock tower. He's pretty angry, and he's, uh you know, violent over his betrayal. The GCPD opens fire on him, but that's pretty useless. So Tim is able to convince the cops that he and the other masks will surrender, but first to let them fight Scarecrow, because they're the only ones trained to fight creatures like this. So the cops go along with it. You yeah, to the pros Yeah, them.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> We'll stand out. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so Barbara Between stir and aside. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, it's all all <laughs> yeah. you So Barbara sees that uh Black Mask and Batman are going to kill each other. Batman is just so angry at to uh what Black Mask has done to spoiler and just the frustrations of this whole gang war and the situation around it. He has lost his cool and they're gonna kill each other. So, to prevent that, to, so that Batman doesn't have the death of uh, Black Mask on his conscience, or gets killed himself, uh, she decides that she is gonna blow up the, the clock tower, which will force Batman to save her, rather than continue his fight with Black Masks. And her, her uh, plan works. Batman escapes before the clock tower is destroyed. The Bat Family also defeats Scarecrow, but they decide that they're not going to turn themselves in after all. Tim explains, we lied, and they all take off. <laughs> <laughs> so the clock tower is destroyed, and it's obviously not the Bat Cave. Barbara is, quote-unquote, discovered in the wreckage and wonders aloud why Bat Mask made such a mistake. I'm just an innocent businesswoman. I'm not the Bat Cave. So now they go back to Leslie's clinic, and uh, Dr. Tompkins tells Batman that he uh, has to—well, she contacts Batman and says he has to come back to the clinic immediately. Stephanie's dying. He arrives, and Stephanie is blaming herself for everything. Batman says—tries to ease her mind, tells her that Tim adores her and that she's not to blame. Stephanie tells him of her baby— and Bruce promises that the child will be taken care of. She asks, Did you let me be Robin just to get Tim back? Was I a real Robin? And Batman assures her that she was. And she dies, knowing that she was a true member of the Bat Family. After the fighting, the remaining crime family members collect and go to kiss the ring of their new leader, Black Mask. So now there's an epilogue. Dick, Dick Grayson, sees Bruce doing something he rarely does, drink. Bruce had to tell Tim about Stephanie's death, and it's really, the whole situation is really weighing on him. The Bat family is trying to clean up the last pockets of the gang war. Bruce visits Stephanie's grave and is joined by Stephanie's mother. She blames Batman for her daughter's death and sees Batman as just another criminal. However, Bruce is still firmly set on his mission to protect the people of Gotham City. The mm. end. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, yeah, quite a, quite a story. So uh, Chris and I will discuss uh, this story after these messages from our friends.
1: When you talk about comics, does it sound something like this?
2: Look, you can't put the Superman number 77s with the 200s. They haven't even discovered Red Kryptonite yet. And you, uh, you can't put the number 98 with the 300s. the Morris hasn't even been introduced. Or maybe it sounds a little more like this. You think Mighty Mouse could beat up Superman? What are you, cracked? Why not? I saw the other day he was carrying five elephants in one hand. Boy, you don't know nothing. Mighty Mouse is a cartoon. Superman is a real guy. No way a cartoon could beat up a real guy. Yeah, maybe you're right.
0: Would be a good fight, though. Hello.
1: I am the constantly caffeinated Clinton Robinson, and my comics discussions can go to both extremes, but generally fall somewhere in between. On the Coffee and Comics podcast, I will review comic stories and other comics related topics that can be enjoyed over a cup of coffee. So, pour the coffee or other beverage of choice and join me on the Coffee and Comics Podcast, available on iTunes and coffee and comics Beautiful as
0: Aphrodite, wise
2: as Athena, stronger than Hercules, swifter than Mercury. Explore the 75-year
0: history of the Amazon Princess with Wonder Woman Warrior for Peace, a monthly
2: podcast available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at wonderwomanwarriorforpeace.wordpress.com.
0: Welcome back. So, Chris, what did you think of War Games Act 3?
1: Well, Jerry, overall, I thought the writing was much more consistent than the artwork in the previous chapter. For some reason, it just seemed to gel. This was a huge undertaking, and I can't tell you as a comic book fan how many stories I've read with uh, multi-parts where things felt disjointed, and there didn't seem to be any symmetry with the uh, characterizations from one chapter to the next from title to title. Here, I thought it really meshed well. There were a few things that... mm, just pain me as a reader. There were an instance in the previous volume where Stephanie seemed to get the upper hand on uh, black mask. yet yeah, She lets her guard down just for a brief second and then she yep. gets taken and overpowered. Uh, some great artwork with Ken Loon and Paul Glacey in particular. I really, it didn't sort of have the impact as the previous chapter did. I think when I read a multi-part, I always like the penultimate chapter, but the final chapter sort of doesn't hit quite hit the home run for me. Yeah little bit of that feeling here, but overall, by any means, this was still still a great story. It had a huge gut punch in the final uh, scene with um, Stephanie asking Batman where she was, the real Robin or not. That yeah. was really, really emotionally gripping. Really strong. Very strong. What were your uh, general broad stroke thoughts on this?
0: Well, you know, I'm not usually a fan of this kind of story, but if, over, what is this, 30 issues? Uh, if it's yeah. not 30, it's near enough. It this story holds together over 30 issues, which I think is amazing. And I, it all makes sense. Everybody's, uh, goals remain pretty consistent. Uh, nobody is like, well, why is he doing that? Why is she doing that? It makes a lot of sense and it, it's quite an achievement over all of these stories, over all of these different titles. Uh, I think this is, this is pretty much as good as tightly wound as a story of this size can get, I think. I agree. Go ahead. uh, Yeah. And so this has got the cast is my favorite, right? With Barb as Oracle. I love her as Oracle. Uh, Cass is Batgirl. Again, I think she's a terrific Batgirl. Stephanie is, this is, you know, as tragic as this is for her, this is a wonderful Stephanie story. She's, it's so touching. Her, her, Or death and, you know, like you pointed out, it's just really, really works. And, you know, with Tim as Robin and with Nightwing helping out, I mean, it, it really all is, uh, works together. Um, a couple of things, like I wasn't exactly sure why Scarecrow was really helping Black Mask. That seemed a little forced to me.
1: I'm glad you brought that up because it felt a little forced to me as well. Not really sure how it happened. I sort of kind of let it play out for what it was. Uh, we had the attack on the clock tower. Yeah. Did you uh, – what a powerful scene that was. I don't know how you took it, but I, I really enjoyed that Was that one.
0: Now, the question I had is why did – was it that he found one of the bat communicators and he traced the signal back to the clock tower? Is that why he thought it was the back camera? I,
1: I, I have to think so, but it, a cave, to me, sort of <laughs> <laughs> lends itself to the name. Cave being the operative word, you think something is somewhat uh, s- subterranean or underground or kind of meets you halfway uh, on the horizon where the land is. I, I don't know. I, I, that was a head-scratcher for me, but I let it pass.
0: I did, too. I I wasn't exactly sure, but, you know, look, you know, it's a comic book. You have to make some allowances, right? Uh,
1: yeah, sure. Well, one question I have for you, Jerry, where do you rank the Black Mask in Batman's Rogues Gallery? Um, Chris, to me, do you think he gets his due with Bat-fandom? Or, you know, sometimes for me, I got to tell you, he feels a little bit forced upon. Um yeah. But uh, do we do we do Bat-fans underappreciate the Black Mask or they just you know, don't care? Do you have any thoughts or opinions on it?
0: Uh, you know, I, when I see him, uh, he's not a character that. You know, I sit around and think, wow, if we only had more black mask, you know, it's it's not. A- <laughs> <laughs> but he's also not a character when you see him, you're like, oh, not this again. So I think for me, right. he's he's and he's definitely not. an So an A, maybe he's a B, maybe he's a C-less character, maybe somewhere in between. I think he's uh wasn't he used in the in the recent um woman story i think the the one at the end of uh the new 52 i think there was yeah. a, a pretty good black mask story in there
1: mm-hmm.
0: so and, i and agree I, and i like that one so um uh, again not he's not compelling to me but uh, i like him well enough how about yourself
1: well i'm, I'm trying to remember you know i i uh, 86 seems clear to me when he first came out on the scene. I sort of felt it was sort of forced upon a little bit. Um I did see some similarities to Hush and, and Tommy Elliot And I'm thinking, you know, here here's yet another character who had some uh boyhood experiences with a young Bruce Wayne. Uh there were rivals, and all of a sudden they're these upper tier villains right. with um not much on their resume or a long list of stories as opposed to a Joker Painwinner or even Ra's al Ghul. Mm-hmm. Yet all of a sudden they get this ultimate, they get this, uh, A level prominence. And I think it's, it's pretty much quantity of stories has been the yardstick for me. If, if he hasn't appeared, I think, you know, out of sight, out of mind comes into play versus, um, the, the, the villain rogues, rogues gallery I've, I've grown up with Batman. We just haven't had a huge body of work as we had with some of the A list villains, I think. Uh, and I think when you, well, I've, I'm going to commit uh, these huge crimes to, you know, elevate my status. It, it just doesn't pack the weight as, as as, opposed to the quantity versus quality, I think, if I'm yeah. looking at uh, a list of villainy. And I don't know if that's necessarily fair, but I guess that's where my,
0: where my mind sits on it. Yeah, he seems to be kind of like a crime lord when you don't want the penguin, right? He's kind of a... Yeah. <laughs> You can't have Penguin in everything, especially in this era. Yes. So uh, he's... Uh, um, the one thing that I do like about uh, Black Mask is that they do are able to link him sometimes to different societies in Gotham's history. And I always like that kind of thing. You know, the false face society right. and things like that. And I think that stuff's pretty interesting.
1: You know, I, I said it as a side comment before, and I think... It shouldn't be understated. I mean, we, you, Harley Quinn was introduced to Batman the Animated Series, and look yeah. at the elevated status she has now. Um, boy, if the Black Mask had only appeared in Batman the Animated Series, I just wonder if, if, if he would have had much more of an impact or resonance with, uh, Bat fandom at large. That's uh, you know? Yeah. Visually granted, interesting. Harley, visually interesting. You know, Harley's her own quirky personality. I don't know. I'll grant you, you know, Harley's personality, way, way, way beyond uh, Roman, but uh, I I think that, I think Batman the Eminem series had such a huge impact with with, uh, Bat fandom at large, and I think the the stories are just... uh, well remembered and, and thought of. That if he only had one appearance, I think maybe would have been better. Because even
0: people think of just the little throwaway stories of uh, Crack and mm-hmm. Batman the Animated Stories, and he's still remembered. Uh, yeah. yeah. Now, but the thing is about Black Mask is like when you think of the Penguin, right? The classic villains. You can you know who the Penguin is and what he sounds like in your head. You know, for me, it's you know Burgess Meredith and you know the Joker. There's a definite feeling of. I know who this character is. I don't feel that way about Black Mask. I can't think Oh right. It. I don't have a voice in my head. I don't have a an idea for how he moves and how, you know, his sinisterness kind of uh, comes out. So I think that's a negative for the character.
1: Oh, I I totally agree. I totally agree. I'm trying to think of some of the other things uh I liked in the story. I think there was this great uh, two panel scene. I think it was Kim Soon who drew this uh the this scene where Batman hits bike Mask in the face and the mess starts to break and it was this nice yeah. two page story arc and it that was one of the really great artistic panels I thought here. That in the Galaci chapter in particular, where I thought his artwork was a little more elevated and had more weight and resonance with me on this were were some of the highlights with the with respect to the art. Some of the other artwork though, I think just sort of blended in, and it was a little bit more model. but boy, oh boy, the writers did a really effective job bringing this all together, I thought.
0: Yeah, and I think the one scene when they were in the stadium, and kind of Batman said, I am going to end this war, and it just yes. felt really strong. It was beautifully drawn. Oh, great. Absolute great, great dramatic moment there. Definitely. Uh, and, and sad to see Stephanie go here. I mean, we know that we've been building up to this, but... Uh, it doesn't make it any easier. It was effectively, very effectively written. Oh,
1: I totally agree. I totally agree. The volume uh, had something of an epilogue. I don't want to necessarily skip ahead, though, but I just don't know. I felt a little empty reading it, and I don't know, well, did we need a filler type of thing? I know we needed a moment just kind of
0: as readers to collectively catch our breath. Do you think it was necessary? I don't think it was necessary, but I did like seeing that side of bruce that kind of reflective you know he's batman is so often seen as just this calculating um you know very efficient and ruthless in his own way but it affects him and and this particularly he's lost another person from his family, extended family, maybe, but family, nevertheless, and it affects him. And it, uh, I think it goes to his, uh, love of life and, you know, always, uh, you know, coming down on the side of letting the bad guys live if, uh, if he can and seeing Stephanie go, I think, uh, seeing his reaction to that was strong. I thought.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, as you mentioned earlier, too, one of the things you did, I think you hit upon all the great parts of the supporting cast as well. Uh, that that can't be understated as what we had displayed. Uh, a great oracle from what we saw there, a great yes. cast as, as Batgirl. Uh, Tim Drake was top-notch. Uh, Catwoman was top-notch. Nightwing was top-notch. There, there was nothing that really was, was sort of an off-note. If I had to go uh, further down the the list, though Onyx, okay, but uh, nah, yeah. yeah, Tarantula, I, I, I like a little better, but um, I wouldn't mind seeing Tarantula back in the uh, current version, but you know, I'm I'm not, I find I'm not missing her per se, but boy, oh boy, from from though that that uh, uh sidekick core, back core, what have you, though that was a great, great uh, depiction of everyone involved.
0: Yeah, definitely. So in terms of rating this. You know, where would you come down in a rating?
1: I don't think I enjoyed it much as much as the previous volume. That said though, uh, I have to classify this as a must read for a, a quote, bat book for a beginner. Mm-hmm. I initially was going to have my score at 3.5, but I think I am going to change it to a 4.0 based on, uh, just another quick reread before our recording mm-hmm. and just some of the gut punch that we had with respect to Stephanie there. This was a well-done volume overall. It's so tough to put it together and all these pieces of the puzzle to tell a huge epic story like this. It doesn't really... As a comic book reader, I haven't really seen it done effectively, and I, I can't shortchange that. I'm trying to put myself in the editorial staff's shoes as to what they did, what they subsequently did. Yeah. And I, I think maybe subconsciously that's been weighing it with my mind. Um, they did, they did readily <laughs> rectify the thing, situation with Stephanie yeah. in my mind to, to doing that at the time for what it was, though I have to accept what we were given just with that, but I can't help put my other thoughts, knowing what what we have here into play, I wonder how if my score would have changed uh, from the initial story release to now. Mm-hmm. Either way, <laughs> this is a very <laughs> long-winded way for me to say, <laughs> I, I'm going with a 4.0, Jerry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it took you took me a while
0: to, no, I, and to I round heard. the basis on that. but I agree with you. I think I would go with a 4.0, too, and I was originally leaning like around 3.5 because it. It's a, it's a good story. It's a solid story and there are a couple of gut punches, as you say, you know, with Stephanie dying, I thought that was really well done. I thought that the attack on the clock tower and Barbara's plan to keep Bruce from killing uh, black mask. I thought that was strong. So in general, the story was solid, perfectly solid, perfectly good, but there were a couple of these tent poles of things that really, really worked well and also, I can't help but compare it to, or think of it as a full story, Acts 1, 2, and 3, all together. And just this was a good achievement. This was a, a strong story for DC to come out with. And uh, so I think that this, you know, Act 3 is going to get uh, the benefit of just the general well-plotted um, situation here. So I agree with you, 4.0. And,
1: and a must read.
0: Definitely a must read. I think that, like you said so well, that uh, this is about the bat family too. And in my synopsis, I skipped over a whole bunch of stuff that were kind of side stories about, you know, Catwoman and, um, Batgirl. I mean, there was a lot of good stuff in this story that I didn't even bring up. So, um, I definitely recommend this and must read.
1: Okay. Sounds good.
0: Yeah. So. So that's all we have for this story. We just want to do a, we want to talk a little bit about uh our friends over at the batmanuniverse.net. Uh we do our podcast here through the batmanuniverse.net and they have a Patreon account. So if you like TBU or some of their other podcasts or look at any of their reviews, uh, they've got a, uh, their comic book podcast. They got Everyone Loves the Drake, Back Girl to Oracle, some really great stuff. So they have a Patreon account. If you're interested in, uh, if you like this one and some of the others, please feel free to donate to the BatmanUniverse.net. Now, Chris, you review Batman 66 meets Wonder Woman on Back Girl to Oracle, don't you?
1: Thank you so much, Jerry. Yes, I do. I'm very happy with the way things are going. I don't know where I'm going to land, though. Beyond that, there is going to be a Batman 66 meets the Legion of Superheroes, following that conclusion of that series. Beyond that, I'm not sure Uh, Stella's been fortunate enough to let me... uh, have some time on our show. I don't know if I'm going to, at that point, review another book that's going to be discussed. Uh, I have some possibilities in mind. I do have to review the uh, IDW Volume 3, where Batgirl makes an appearance in the uh, Batman comic strip uh, that was done in the uh, late 60s and early 70s. And I also am now on Twitter. You can find me yes. at B-T-O-N Bad Books. Now, yes. Jerry also does reviews on the BatmanUniverse.net. He yes. reviews uh, Mother Panic, which is a great book. Uh, Gotham, Gotham Academy, which is unfortunately come closed. close. Batman 66 as well. Uh, Jerry, are you on Twitter, my friend?
0: <laughs> I am. I'm at Professor Frenzy. So I tweet 140 character reviews uh, on Wednesday or thereabouts when the uh, comic books come out and uh i also do a little dark shadows tweeting some indie comics and of course i couldn't uh couldn't go on without saying that i like to live tweet horror movies on spangoolie on saturday nights <laughs> which is a lot of fun, a lot chris, of fun. always chris, a lot of fun with yeah. a great group yeah yeah chris you you join and well last night we had uh, the bride of frankenstein uh also uh uh Clinton from Coffee and Comics was on there last night as well, so it was great to see him. Out
1: it there. was great to see him. Yeah. Wow, yeah, I really enjoyed seeing a familiar face. Yeah, Definitely. it was good. You know, just like, yeah, Clinton does the Coffee and Comics podcast. You know, he's right. a fine, fine show. Love with it. a great uh, snippet, and you pick some great books. I, I really love his voice. Definitely. So please be sure to check out the Coffee and Comics podcast that yes. Clinton does. That awesome, awesome job.
0: Now, I've been also listening to the Cosmic Treadmill with uh, Chris Sheehan, who's at Ace Comics, and uh, at Reggie Reggie. Uh, Those are their Twitter handles. So Chris and Reggie, they discuss discuss classic comics. And it's a lot of fun. Even if you don't like the comic that they're talking about, they're really entertaining. And they just recently did a three-part History of Underground Comics. That's comics with an X, as they keep reminding us. And I, I listened to that, and that was terrific. Some really old-school stuff. I listened to
1: it as well. That was a fascinating history. It was very comprehensive. Uh-huh. Boy, oh boy, my heads go off to them for for uh, the work that they put into that show and how they do their research uh, is is just fascinating i really don't know how those guys have the time i i i just i gotta I gotta ask him sometimes, I mean, wow, but I mean, the, the, the consistency uh, and good. quality is both very, very good. It's just amazing. I really love that show.
0: Yeah, me too. Uh, we also have been listening to Soundtrack Alley, uh, a guy by the name of Randall a- Andrews. He discusses some of his favorite soundtracks on kind of, you know, geeky, uh, fantasy movies. I just listened to one on, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. I really enjoyed that, that episode as well. We also follow a whole bunch of folks on uh Twitter and elsewhere, don't we, Chris?
1: The Batman podcast, Bill uh Beer at Gotham Night. Uh we got Mark at I'm the Gun who does a great podcast there. Uh the jam and Comics podcast. Oh. Uh, um let's see. Oh, the Batcave podcast which really really does a great job. They're also sure looking at um the animation, filmation, <laughs> cartoons, uh Green Hornet episodes. Jerry, we also had something called, uh, well, of course, the Sotherlands. How can of I not go with forgetting the Sutherlands? We've got the Sutherlands with Warlord Worlds. Uh, they, were, they look at uh, um, the comprehensive work of Mike Grell. Xenozoic Xenophiles, where they look at Mark Schultz and the outstanding work he did on the uh, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs series. Trigger Talk, which examines the character of Mercy Sinclair and the incomparable artwork of Ron Randall. Mm-hmm. They have been great supporters of the show. Hopefully, we, they will come to a point where they look at some of the work that he, uh, Mike Roll has done on Batman for the Warlord Worlds. Uh, we're looking really forward to that. Oh gosh, am I leaving anybody out?
0: You know, uh, I, I got to talk to to Mike Grell at BurrowCon last weekend and that was a terrific. He's a, what a great guy he is. I got to talk to him. Did you have a nice conversation conversation with him? Really, really well. It it was, uh, we were there kind of early and we got there, uh, you know, before a lot of folks were there and I got to spend a lot of time with, uh, Mr. Grell and he was just a gentleman, uh, such a, so, so, so generous with his time and so interesting. He's telling all kinds of old stories about his, uh, you know, his bow shooting days. And uh, we went into depth. We talked a lot about Batman mask and uh, some of the origins of, you know, how we kind of developed uh, that, that story, which is one that I like very, very much. So um, I'm hoping that maybe sometime we can uh, talk to the Sutherlands about that.
1: That sounds great. Jerry posted some pictures on Twitter with Mike Grell and you can just, just fancy. He, he, he let you wear his hat. He seems like a fantastic guy. Yeah, and I was very, very envious of the experience you had had. <laughs> so uh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Jerry. Really, really. a. Can't thank you enough for doing that. Uh, my pleasure. What a great guy. So if you, you, you gotta find where my girl's gonna be at a convention and I think he seems very approachable and it's gonna be a rewarding experience. One thing I forgot to mention were some Twitter likes that we also got. Uh, we also had likes on Twitter from at John Georgia, at Davey Gould, at Bry underscore Reno, at Sought Out Films. Stella at Gold Oracle gave us a nice like. Joe Crawford at J3K underscore C, Jason Unmasked at JJCat82, at Art at Eileen McGreevy, and at Carmine Street Comics. That's Carmine Street Comics, yes, and at Batman Universe. Now, if you made a mistake and overlooked your acknowledgement, please let us know, and we'll be sure to mention you on the next show. Yes. And speaking of mentions, we did get some nice feedback from Ian Miller, a.k.a. Ian Prime, at the Batman Universe. He left this following comment. Gentlemen, excellent discussion on the first act of War Games. This crossover had a bad reputation with Stephanie Brown fans for obvious reasons. I personally really like the first act. It's incredibly suspenseful, and Steph's opening tragedy and guilt is part of what made me fall in love with her character way back in 2004 when I read this story in trades at the bookstore. I think the problems with the story show up in the second, and particularly the third acts, where the sense of momentum and logic of the plot break down. But here, where everything is starting to roll downhill, it's a taut crime drama with engaging characters. I have a question for the two of you, though. Do you think Batman was right to fire Steph from being Robin? I obviously think he was wrong, and it was an out-of-character action forced upon by the book, by the editors who wanted to set up Steph for her death. But there is a large group of fans who think Batman was totally right, and Steph deserved all the bad things that happened to her. So we landed on this, too, and I I, I had to chime in back with uh, Ian Prime. Yeah. Or aka Ian Miller. And first of all, thank you for leaving the comment on the Batman University. We would really appreciate your feedback. Great. Comment. And Ian's always good. And I was, I was anticipating, I really hope he would comment like this. And I, 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 chimed in and yes, I did think Batman was wrong. At least if it was a uh, firing for the act, I would have written it in such a way if he was mandated by the editorial ship that he had to fire her. I would have written it in such a way where it, it didn't seem like this, where she had no mother out. This, it did seem, it, it really seemed forced upon to me. And I, I was not part of the large group of fans who I think Benjamin was totally right under the circumstance. And Jerry chimed in with his answer as well.
0: Yeah, I I think that uh I, I don't think he was right. I think that she needed to be trained. And uh, you know, armies all for as <laughs> back as long as there have been armies, right, they always have to train people how to follow orders. And it seems just expecting her You know, kind of right out of the box (laughs) to be able to do that is a little unrealistic. And, you know, if she's got what it takes to fight, he should spend a little bit of extra time to help train her up for that. So that was my thinking along those lines. I agree with him about the the strength of this is the first arc. You know, uh, act one is the strength of this story. Uh, So he's absolutely right about that. So,
1: thank you. So, listeners, if you do... Yes, thank you, Anne. And listeners, if you have any comments you'd wish to leave for ourselves with a respective show, you can do so on the Batman Universe homepage. If you'd like to contact us directly, you can do so via Twitter, of course. And I did mention Carmine Street Comics is one of the people who did like our uh, last episode on Twitter when it was announced. And speaking of Carmine Street Comics, Jerry, Uh do we have anything going
0: on presently? We do. The good folks at Carmine Street Comics helped us find a copy of one of my personal favorites, Gates of Gotham. And we're... Giving, doing a giveaway of a copy of Gates and Gotham. So if you want to enter, leave us a review on iTunes. So it doesn't have to be a, a great review. If you don't like it, but you really like Gates and Gotham, feel free to go out there and trash us. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but Please be kind. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. But we're going to select one review at random to receive the book. Uh, the last day to enter, so we're going to set up a, a, a date now. It's going to be July 1st. So get your reviews into iTunes by July 1st, and we will pick from among uh, those that are entered there. So go out to iTunes right now and look for Bat Books for Beginners and give us a review so you don't get shut out. So that's good all. Luck. Yeah, good luck, everyone. So that's all we have for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. And please leave us some comments so that we know what you liked and what we can do better. And join us next time where we will be covering war crimes. And we hope you join us then. So I'm Jerry. And I'm Chris. And we're saying goodbye for now. And thank you for tuning in to Bat Books for Beginners.